Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 92 of our Talk is Cheap New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch and Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media. We have a little rookie minicamp to talk about, some free agents, especially one in particular still out there. And looking ahead to what the Giants might be able to do to take care of their future uh, this summer. James, we'll start with you. Rookie minicamp in the books, which means it was your, your, both of your chances. First um, time getting to meet some of these kids and, and getting to watch them play some semblance of football. What were your takeaways from rookie minicamp? Uh, Evan Ingram's pretty fast, it seems. Uh, they weren't going 100%, but he looks pretty fast. Uh, Davis Webb kind of looks the part of you know central cast what you would kind of envision if, if you told someone that, hey, the Giants are going to add a rookie quarterback from Texas who's six foot five. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were out there. They were kind of running around. There's only so much you can take away. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson uh, was actually uh, – he was about the size I expected him, but I think Dan wrote about this too. Uh, he was a lot – pretty lean, you know, pretty well built. He, he's not like just a big guy. Uh, he, he's a pretty athletic guy. I think maybe – after seeing his build, I, I think maybe there's a chance he could be more of a pass rusher than maybe I initially believed. But for the most part, you know, just it was rookie minicamp. One day we, we only saw one practice. Uh, they just kind of ran around in the wind in their shorts and their helmets. So not too much to take away, but it's a sign that, that football is slowly but surely working its way back. That is true. When they're on the field, we, we can't be that far away. Dan, for you, what, what stood out uh, in the limited time you got to watch these guys play and then talk to them a little bit? Yeah, it's like a lot of what James said. It's a lot of first impressions type thing. And, and, you know, obviously the biggest thing is maybe just checking out their size because you see them on on video clips and pictures. But uh, seeing them up close and personal definitely gives a different perspective. Uh, It's funny because even for a lot of the coaches, this was the first time meeting these guys face-to-face when you got – Offensive coordinator Mike Sullivan commenting on Davis Webb's handshake. Now, I don't know if that really really means a heck of a lot, but it's just kind of funny that that was the first time they met was, uh, I think it was Thursday night. Um, but, yeah, so Tomlinson, to me, that was the biggest takeaway. I mean, you see a lot of these 300-plus pound defensive linemen, and they're kind of sloppy, and they got guts and everything. He looked pretty well put together. So either that, A, like James, that means maybe he'll be a little more athletic and be a pass rusher, or B, if they wanted to bulk up, it seems like he's got you know plenty of room to, to put on some weight because, again, it's, he's carrying a lot of good weight right now uh and then the other guy still to me really on maybe the opposite spectrum is Wayne Gallman was a lot more slight than I expected um for a guy who's built as a power back uh, he says he's down to 210 pounds basically just from 
sort of the you know stressful couple of months and the travel and you know not being on his, his typical routine and he'll be, he'll be back to 215 um you know by the time you know season rolls around but just not a really imposing looking guy I mean I know he runs hard and uh you know we'll you know we'll play physically but uh if if you're looking for him to be a power back I have to see it to believe it a little bit at this level because I mean he really looked I think Paul Perkins looks thicker than him and, and Perkins is basically described as sort of a you know a slasher so uh, that was a little bit surprising. I, mean, I thought Gallman would be a little bit bigger. Um, it really wasn't. It was kind of a little bit tall and, and, and skinny-ish for, you know, as, as much as a, a, a six-foot, 210-pound guy can be. Uh, those are the things stuck out. And then, you know, we got him on the podium and got to see them and, and talk to them. And, and I think it's a pretty impressive class. I mean, that's it's certainly something uh, that the Giants obviously put a lot of value on is, is getting good character guys. And, and you can see that. I mean, obviously, interviews don't mean a heck of a lot, but... Uh, you know, they're articulate guys, intelligent guys. Um, I think that does bode well as far as, you know, being able to fit in and, and learn the playbook and be committed, all that type of stuff. I mean, they just seem to, you know, to be good, solid guys, which is, you know, what they were built at. So when you look at this class, and, and James, you mentioned Evan Engram. He's the first-round pick. He was the one that generated the most wows and what did they just do in the first round, taking uh, not only a tight end, but one that was billed maybe more as, like a receiver slash tight end. You said he's fast. When you watch him, and I understand it's just a mini camp, and it's just you know half speed or three quarter speed, whatever. If, if our listeners never watched him, and if we have people listening to us, I'm sure we do. That are big college football fans. They just heard about Evan Ingram when he got drafted or leading up to the draft. Like, does he look like a wide receiver that that will play tight end, or is he built and look like a tight end that is just fast? He looks to me like more of a wide receiver than a tight end. I think that. I'd have to kind of put him side by side, and we haven't seen it yet. But I mean, he's definitely more built than than a guy like Odell or, or Stowing Shepard. Uh, I'd like to see him stand next to Brandon Marshall and, and kind of see how they compare there. I would say he's definitely you know more built than I think uh, a guy like Tavares King. Uh, he's taller than a guy like Darius Powell. But that was kind of intrigued me because you know, Mike Sullivan basically came out and was very firm. You know, this guy's a tight end. He's not a big wide receiver. Brandon Marshall's a big wide receiver. He's a tight end. He's got the strength, and he'll get in there and block. And then Steve Spagnuolo came out and basically was like, yeah, it's really tough you know, for defenses to guard that guy because he's basically just a big wide receiver. So it seems to me that, one, the Giants weren't really on message there, and two – I think that it's going to be kind of an eye of the beholder thing. I think if you are in support of the Ingram pick, you're going to say, well, he's just, you know, a new wave tight end. And, you know, he likes the block. And here's this that clip of him blocking Miles Garrett for a couple of seconds that we've all put on Twitter. And on the other hand, if you kind of are down on the pick, you're going to say he's really just a big wide receiver. And was that really the most pressing need for the Giants at the number 23 overall pick? So I think obviously – Whatever he does on the field will kind of dictate how he's viewed ultimately. But for now, I, I think you're going to have two camps. And for me, uh, he looks like a big wide receiver, but I also see the argument that he's more built than maybe a prototypical big wide out would be. It's definitely one of those things that seems like the offensive coaches are trying to kind of push this narrative that he's not just a big wide receiver. Uh, it's kind of funny because when he was drafted, one of the first things Jerry Reese said, he you know, introduced him, Evan Engram, tight end, H-back, and then went on to describe him as a player. Uh, ben McAdoo was asked on Friday about Engram playing H-back, and McAdoo, kind of one of the more puzzling answers, said he didn't know what an H-back is. So, I don't know, it seems like they can't get their, their wires totally straight on how they're going to describe this guy. I think what they're trying to do is introduce him to everything. I mean, he had his hand on the ground in a, you know, a three-point stance more on Friday than he probably did in his 
entire career at Ole Miss where he's playing basically you know, slot receiver and doing a lot of motioning and stuff like that. But I think it's good to introduce him to that and see if he can handle it. And then obviously if he can, if you, you know, you're going to have three, four months of practice before you have to, you know, really, uh, you know, decide what you're going to do in a game, then you scale it back. And if he ends up being a big slot receiver, he'll still be a matchup problem. I mean, uh, you know, Jordan Reed is, is not blowing anybody off the ball in the NFL and he's still an effective tight end. Uh, so I think it makes sense to introduce him to a lot of this, but I think it's being a little bit, I don't want to say stubborn. Uh, tr- you know, and Macker said, you can't hold against him what he wasn't asked to do in college. So, hey, maybe he'll surprise us all and he will be able to do this. Uh, but really nothing indicates that he's going to be an all-around uh, O.J. Howard type tight end if, you, uh, if Giants fans will allow me to use that comparison. I mean, I think he is a, a mismatch type guy, a slot type guy, an H-back type guy. He'll be able to put his hand down at times. But I, I think at the end of the day, that's not going to be his strong suit. And, you know, again, I get why they're, they're giving him a look there. But I think at the end of the day, that, that's not going to be, uh, you know, what his role is. Yeah, he seems like a unique player that if it works out, it's going to be a matchup nightmare. But we'll see uh, if he could do what, you know, Giants fans want out of their tight end. But there's the other side of this, too. You know, rookie mini camps here. These players are now, you know, they're real Giants now. It's not just names and draft picks and, you know, profiles. Like, they're in the uniform now. So this thing is moving forward. But that means... The other side is there's players, they're gunning for their jobs. And, you know, Davis Webb, that one is easy to talk about, and we have and we will more as these weeks and months go on because he's going to try to become the next quarterback of the Giants. But that's for down the line. The rest of these guys, James, they're going to want to play, and, and the coach is going to want to try to get them on the field as quickly as they can. But the other side of that, of course, is the incumbents, the guys that are there. So let's talk about some of the, the players they drafted and what it means for the guys ahead of them on the depth chart. Um, we'll start with the first round pick, Evan Ingram. I mean, do we think he's going to play and start from day one because of the, the Giants didn't have much of tight end, or you think that that's still a lot to ask for where he is? That's a great question. I think that when Ingram's one of those guys where the Giants are going to, in my opinion, they can manufacture ways to get him on the field to kind of justify the pick and to use him accordingly. I think a guy like Will Ty, I would assume, is you know kind of the main guy that's in, got some heat on him now, just because they just signed Red Ellison in the off season, and I think that he's probably when they need the blocker, he's the guy who's going to be in there. Uh, they took Jarrell Adams last year in the sixth round. He's the one guy in the tight end group that you look at and you think, okay, he has the potential to be that sort of all-around guy because he has good speed. Uh, he is a good blocker. I mean, he kind of tailed off for a stretch there at the end of the season, but they drafted him. They, they thought he had a lot of promise. He's only going to his second year. Ty, in my opinion, could end up being the odd man out just because if you like Adams' all-around upside, Ellison's your proven blocker, Ingram's your, your mat, mismatch nightmare, well, then that doesn't really leave much room for Ty to get on the field. So I think that there's a good chance that Ingram will be the starting tight end, you know, quote marks though, because I think they're going to use Ellison a lot as well. But I think Ty is the guy who definitely stands to lose the most from the Ingram pick. Who are the hot seat guys for you, Dan? The guys that are on this team already and they're probably looking over their shoulder and saying, well, I, I got to earn my job now because there's a rookie behind me. Yeah, I mean, if you just logically go by the, the spots they invested high picks in, obviously you talked about tight end and like you said, quarterback isn't really a spot that's going to be effective because – Geno Smith and Josh Johnson were going to be competing for the backup job. Whether or not they drafted a quarterback, they weren't going to keep both of those guys. So nothing really changes for them. Uh, so the other spots, obviously defensive tackle, uh, you know, might not be so much of a, a hot seat type of thing because they still only have four guys, but it definitely looks like Tomlinson uh, would have the inside track to be the starter. 
And then Jay Bromley and Robert Thomas, you know, would presumably be back in the same roles they had last year behind Jonathan Hankins. But things get a little tighter there because instead of competing for the starting job, now you have to worry about if an undrafted free agent or some veteran they pick up during camp or something like that comes in. Now you're on the hot seat pretty quick. Uh, I think defensive end is probably the most interesting position because you take Avery Moss in the fifth round. So that's not, uh, you know, a huge investment, but you're obviously, you you need to just throw that pick away. You think he's going to have a chance to make your team. And defensive end is kind of a crowded position at the back end of that depth chart after, uh, you know, JPP and Olivier Vernon. I think Romeo Acquire is in good shape. But, but if I'm O.O. Digazua or Kerry Wynn, I'm a little nervous. Uh, I don't think all, you know, I don't think all those guys are going to make the team at the end of the day. So assuming they're not going to just cut ties with a fifth round pick, I think Wynn or O.O. is certainly uh, probably going to be on the outside looking in. And O.O. didn't do himself any favors, I don't think, with some of his, you know, social media uh, pontificating about stepping away from the game. I mean, I know that. Uh, everyone has said that's not that big of a deal, but these guys, especially like Ben McAdoo, these are football guys. I don't think they love the idea of a player's heart not totally being into it. That, that can't be a race. That's got to be in the back of, uh, of McAdoo's head. Uh, and then the other position, obviously, is running back, where uh, not a ton of depth there to begin with, so it wasn't a big surprise that they you know drafted Wayne Gallman in the fourth round. Uh, but if you're Orleans Darkwood, you look at sort of the scouting report on Wayne Gallman, and it pretty much sounds like Orleans Darkwa's scouting report. So that's got to be a little bit of a concern, whereas, you know, Darkwa has always kind of had a tenuous hold on a spot, has never really gotten a full opportunity, and they bring in a guy who kind of does what you do in the fourth round. Now, I don't think that necessarily means, you know, Darkwa will be on the chopping block because he still will add depth and, uh, you know, special teams is one of his strong suits. But it just the margin of error gets a little thinner there because you also have Sean Drone and he's a little bit of a different back. So maybe it comes down to Darkwa and Drone uh, competing for that last running back spot. So it's, it's natural. I mean, every year there's going to be guys taken, you know, at six or seven positions. It's obviously how the draft works. Um, but, you know, you, you breathe a little easier if you're a uh, a wide receiver this right now and they didn't draft any wide receivers or, or something, you know, something like that. But some of these other positions where, you know, Hey, they, they brought a guy in the, the second round of your position, the fourth round of your position. Uh, you know, the heat got turned up a little bit cause that guy's probably going to be here. So you, you might be the one on the way out. I think that the wide receiver situation is interesting because as we talked about earlier, offensive coaches saying he's a tight end, he's a tight end, he's a tight end. But if you're going to use Ingram in all these ways, I wonder if the giants are going to, still you know do the traditional carry six wide receivers so I I think those wide receivers also have to get a little bit worried as well because if they're going to use Ingram in a lot of you know traditional wide receiver ways you know split them out put them in the slot maybe they go okay well let's carry an extra offensive lineman or an extra pass rusher we only need to carry five wide receivers and when you have a team where Marshall Beckham Shepard and Harris now that he's taken the pay cut are basically locked in uh, that doesn't leave a lot of room. And, you know, again, same thing as last year. You're going to have Tavares King camp, Roger Lewis, Darius Powell. Uh, you're going to have Travis Rudolph, who everyone's been, you know, kind of writing and talking about the undrafted guys. So there's going to be a lot of talent in that receiver room in camp. And if Ingram's going to be used in a way that maybe negates the need for a sixth wide receiver, those guys could have a trickle down, too. It feels like wide receiver is going to be a much, you know, much anticipated battle this this training camp, and just feels like the Giants have more weapons now to use on offense to try to make the whole unit better compared to where it was last year. And guys, it feels like every team in the NFL and fan bases can say this, but most teams are pretty much done now. But there does seem to be one name that keeps coming back to the Giants when it comes to the free agent market um, and the connection to him that's been going on since even before the draft. 
Dan, LeGarrette Blunt. What, what do you think about, number one, the fit? Uh, do you think it's still there after the Giants drafted Gallman in, in the in the NFL draft out of Clemson? And and when, if, if this comes down, if, if he does end up with a, a team like the Giants, when do you think that would happen? Uh, well, the first off, as far as the fit, I mean, if they feel like they need a, a short yardage power back, uh, they're not going to find a better one. I mean, he had 18 rushing touchdowns last season. It was most in the NFL, I think, since 2010 or 2011. I mean, it was uh, obviously playing in a great offense in New England, but uh, he certainly had a nose for the end zone and, and was able to get the job done. Um, I don't know that the Giants need that, but it definitely – I don't think they have somebody who does, you know, what he, you know, brings to the table on their roster right now. I don't – again, seeing Gallman up close, I haven't seen him you know, play. Uh, I don't know that he's the same type of back. Um but, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a you know, dire necessity, but if they feel like they need a power back, I mean, Blunt is there. And, and I think the big thing is it's probably not going to cost a ton at this point because clearly he's been on the market for a long time now and he hasn't gotten the four or five million dollar deal he's probably coveting. And of course, last week it became a, a bigger topic because and this is pretty you know, sort of complicated. So I'll do my best. I think James might even have a better handle on it than me. But uh, with comp picks, uh, you know, every free agent you lose slash sign, Gall goes into this formula and with the Giants, you know, Hankins was a big loss as far as his contract is, you know, $9 million a year. And they didn't bring anybody in who uh, is anywhere near that amount. So as of right now, they're projected to have a fourth round comp pick, which means they'll get an extra pick at the end of the fourth round. Obviously, that has quite a bit of value. I mean, you, you know, fourth round picks, you're talking about a guy like Gallman, who we think is going to step right in. So you get another uh, impact player and he'll be young and it'll be cheap. So uh, teams want to preserve comp picks. And the Patriots did a little, uh, you know, as they're apt to do, found a little loophole. I mean, nothing, everything's totally above board, but they just, you know, they're always working angles. And they applied this thing called a May 9th tender on Blunt. So now basically they have, uh, I think it's a one point, James might be able to, 1.1 million, something like that, where that, that, is, that offer is on the table to him. Any other team can make an offer. The Patriots have the right to match. If he's not signed by basically the start of training camp, like mid to late July, he loses – he exclusively can negotiate with the Patriots until like week 10. I mean, again, it's all very complicated. But bottom line is if the Giants want him, the comp pick formula still applies because the Patriots put that tender on him. So that would definitely give teams some pause because, again, if you're, in the, if you're the Giants and you have the fourth-round picks you know, somewhat in hand, I mean, and it can change based on how guys play and who gets caught, this and that. Again, I'm trying to uh, you know, give the Cliff Snows version. Um, they might not want to risk you know, signing Blunt. And maybe it, it knocks their comp pick back or uh, whatnot. But at the end of the day, to me, I don't think it's – if you think Blunt is uh, an important piece and is going to put you over the hump, you know, the, you know, the hump as a Super Bowl contender, I'd still sign him. Because, I mean, it might bump that pick down. But at the same time, he's going to have to perform. Uh, and, and again, so if he helps your team get to the Super Bowl this year, I don't think you're going to be crying about going from a fourth round to a fifth round comp pick. Because uh, he's not going to sign a big deal that's going to totally, you know, cancel out what they signed Hankins for. I mean, I, at this point, again, I think it would be in the, the $1 million range or something like that. So it's obviously not a significant uh, contract. Wouldn't have a huge impact on the comp pick formula. Um, so again, going back to the initial point, I don't think they need him. I know everyone made a huge deal about this Patriots maneuver, but if, if the Giants want him, I don't think it should change it significantly. So hopefully I did a decent job trying to explain something that most people had never even heard of until last week when the Patriots kind of pulled it out of their hat. Uh, I know James you know, has his own take on that, so maybe he can and fill in some blanks there and just kind of give his take on Blunt. Yeah, so basically I, I felt the whole time that this Blunt talk was – and Dan's right, like 
he would be useful and he would fill a need. But I just have thought this whole thing has been overblown. I mean, Ben McAdoo has made it very clear he wants to play young players, give them an opportunity to be on the field and succeed. Well, you've got Perkins, who you've named the starting running back. You've got Goldman. He just took in the fourth round. You've got Darkwa, who you re-signed. You, you didn't have to re-sign him. And then McAdoo said, you know, he, he thinks the guy can be an impact player when healthy. You've got Sean Drown. You've got Shane Vereen. I mean, where are they going to put LeGarrette Blunt into the mix? And the reason why LeGarrette Blunt is, was still on the market was because he wanted to be paid well. I mean, that's why he's not in New England, because he wanted more money than Bill was willing to give him. So the Giants don't have a whole heck of a lot of cap space. To begin with, they want to play their young players. Uh, Legarrette Blunt is probably going to find a team that can give him more money than the Giants can, and will actually make him their starting running back. I mean, even if he comes here, he's going to be in a committee. So, I just have always thought that the Giants' interest in Blunt might be a little bit overblown uh, by some. That the idea that Blunt was going to end up here, I, I've never thought was strong, just because there probably is a better option for him. And now I think with this uh, situation with the comp pick. I'm sure they had interest, but I think that interest is probably dashed by now just because the way the comp picks work are you can get a third-round comp pick, which is, you know, like you have a guy, I think, uh, like if OV left and came to the Giants, I'm pretty sure that the Dolphins got a third-round comp pick this past year. Then you have, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Well, the NFL kind of considers the fourth and the fifth to be the same and the sixth and the seventh to be the same. So if the Giants sign Blunt to a contract that's kind of – in the ballpark of what Adrian Peterson and Jamal Charles got, which is what Blunt reportedly is looking for, that's probably in that fifth-round comp pick area. That could wipe out their fourth-round comp pick. And, and while Dan's right, I don't think you know the Giants have not had comp picks in the past. I don't think they're necessarily sweating out a fourth-round comp pick the way the Ravens or the Patriots or the Packers would, especially if it's going to help them win the Super Bowl. I just don't think Blount is a guy that they really have a pressing need for. And I think that this kind of perception some Giants fans had that once the compensation pick deadline passed, the Giants were going to go sign a bunch of veteran players. Uh, I never really bought that either because if they truly thought that, you know, that guy Austin Pastor, the veteran tackle, was integral to the success of this team, do you really think Jerry Reese would, would try to protect a fourth-round comp pick if he thought there was an offensive tackle? that he had to have. I mean, I don't think he would have. I think he just would have signed the guy. So I still think the Giants could add a veteran here. They're a veteran cornerback. Uh, you know, a guy like Ryan Clady, his name, the ex-Jet, he comes up a lot. I mean, he would make more sense to me if he, if they, they signed him down the road just because he had surgery last year. Who knows if the guy's even healthy at this point? Who knows if he still even wants to play? I mean, there's been no real anything movement on his market. So I could see the Giants adding a veteran Part, but I don't think it's a part that they feel they necessarily have to have just because it would be really kind of foolish, in my opinion, to waste time and give the, that guy a chance to sign elsewhere just to protect a fourth-round comp pick, which is not something that the Giants necessarily valued over the years. The Giants are a passing team. They have a veteran quarterback. They signed Brandon Marshall. They drafted Evan Engram. Like Some teams would need this back just because they're going to run the ball 30 times a game and they need every back they can get. It just feels like this doesn't make sense for the Giants unless they feel like this is the missing piece, like you said, Dan. But even if they signed him, I'm trying to think of how many carries he would get uh, you know, on an average game. Like It's one thing to have a short yardage back, but 
Um, I'm not sure many teams would give up a fourth-round pick, potentially a fourth-round pick, in, in this um, kind of restricted free agent voodoo we're talking about here. I, I'm not sure many teams would do it for a guy that would be a, a bit player. Do, do you think if right. they signed him, if they did do it, that would mean he'd have a decent role? Well, I think the the point you just illustrated makes it, you know, if I'm blunt, I'm probably looking for a better opportunity because he would have to look at the depth chart and say, well, they've already established that Paul Perkins is the starter. Not that he's going to get 25 carries a game, but that that role has gone. And you know Shane Vereen is going to be playing, you know, every third down, passing situations, two-minute drills. Obviously, that's not Blunt's game anyways. But there, that's two guys who are going to take a big chunk of the snaps, period. And you know they're going to want to get Gallman some snaps. So, I mean, we talk about short yardage back. There might be games where there aren't short yardage situations. So they're going to just throw Blunt out there for a series and, and take Perkins so that they obviously like off the field. Uh, maybe not. And that, you know, as we talk this through, maybe that's why the Giants haven't been too aggressive. It's more like, hey, if you're willing to come for the minimum, we'll bring you in. And, and obviously you can cut him in camp. If, you, if Gallman shows you so much, you say, hey, we got to get this kid on the field and, and see you later to Blunt. So uh, th- that's why it probably isn't going to happen. I agree with all what James said, too, especially about playing the young guys. I mean, if you really felt that, he, again, he was like this missing piece, I think he would have signed him already. I don't think he would have worried so much about all the comp pick and everything else. Um, it's more like a luxury to me if, if you could get him for really cheap and the Patriots kind of thrown a monkey wrench into that. But if you could have gotten him for really cheap and he was willing to play a really small role. But he's really never gotten paid. So, I mean, he's 30 years old. I mean, clearly there's a lot of tread on the tires. Um, you know, this is his last chance to cash in. He probably isn't going to cash in, but he's probably not looking to just take a veteran's minimum deal. He might be someone who can chase a little bit of money. You know, $2 million in Detroit's better than, you know, the veteran's minimum in New York, obviously. So, uh, yeah, I think it, it, as we kind of talked this through, it seems you know pretty unlikely. Um, and again, New England kind of added another layer that's going to make it more difficult. But yeah, it'd be really interesting if he ends up going back there, how that'll play out. Because I'm sure he's not thrilled about how they've handled things. They brought in all these running backs, but uh, you know, of course, Belichick will probably figure out a way to make it work. Um, but yeah, he's he's a guy who who definitely makes sense for for Giants fans to to want and kind of keep tabs on. But uh, I think it's probably unrealistic that it'll actually come to fruition. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you know. He- you, you talk about the Giants, even if the Giants sat down and hammered out some you know, low-cost contract that makes him happy and makes them happy, I could totally see the Patriots just matching it. They've got, like I think, over the cap has them, like $20 million in available cap space. What does Bill care? I mean, if anything, this would be the ultimate Belichick move. He puts the tender on Blunt. Some team draws up some you know complicated, convoluted contract to try to circumvent the compensation pick formula bill just matches it brings blount in and ends up trading him or trading one of the other running backs in training camp to someone who has an injury for a pick that's higher than the comp pick they were going to get see that sounds like peak belichick right there in a year there everyone thinks they're going to win you know 12 or 13 games anyway he just kind of um adds to it and adds to their their pieces for next year and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he ends up back there you know after we go through this exercise of talking about him and his value all right let's let's end this week's episode with a look at something the Giants may be able to do or might think about doing this summer that maybe makes a lot more sense than bringing in a veteran running back so the Giants have quite a few players and really important core players that are coming towards the end of their first deals whether it be Weston Richburg Justin Pugh of, of course Odell Beckham Jr. James you wrote about this we'll start with you on this in your mailbag over the weekend uh, how realistic is it to think the Giants start trying to get out ahead of these things? And if they were to do it, um, which one do you think would make the most sense to try to discuss first? Would, do you think there'd be an, a domino order or is it just kind of each one, uh, each individual situation is its own thing? Yeah, so they've got four guys, uh, uh, Justin Pugh and Weston Richburg after this season. 
then Landon Collins and Odell Beckham after the 2018 season, they're going to be kind of reaching the end of their rookie deals. Now, a lot, a lot of fans say, oh, you know, extend Odell now, extend Pew now. It, in both those cases, I just it doesn't really add up. And I think a lot of times fans realize that when an extension happens before a guy hits free agency, it has to make sense for the team. It has to make sense for the player. And right now, I don't think, in the case of Pugh, it doesn't really make sense for either, just because you know, the Giants want to see him be healthy. You know, he's missed, I think, nine games in the last three years. He's had some concussion issues, had the knee injury last year. And on Pugh's side, and he's been pretty open about this, you, know, you saw the ridiculous contracts that got handed out to, to guards. And, and you know, it's kind of a market inefficiency now where there's so much trouble developing young offensive linemen, which we've seen here with Eric Flowers, that when you when a guy hits free agency that's already developed and has proven he can play, you just pay that guy. And you, you saw it with, you know, Petonio and uh, some of the guys, you know, TJ Lang, you know, you're seeing this around other teams. So I think Pew thinks, well, if I have a Pro Bowl caliber year and I was kind of on my way to doing that last year before the knee injury, I can really cash in as a free agent on the market. So that's why I don't think Pew extension makes sense. With Beckham, I, I you know, that's going to be the one that we talk about a lot. But I wrote this. I just don't see how the Giants can give Beckham an extension now, considering you know what has he really proven to them after the whole you know Jerry Reese come to Jesus moment with him at the end of last season. And second thing is they've got pretty good control over their situation. He's going to play into the fifth year option next year, and they got the tag for two years. They don't really have to worry about striking something with Beckham uh, soon. And I know Dan's going to talk. I mean, it could get messy there. But the Giants do have the leverage. Collins, you can't negotiate until you're, after your third year in the league, so they can't even talk about extensions until after this season. I wrote, I think that the no-brainer after this season is just get him locked down, pay him whatever he's going to get paid. You know, just don't even fool around with that. The one guy I could see an extension happening, I don't know if it's certainly going to happen, is Richburg, just because he was hurt last year, kind of had a step-back season. But if the Giants could find a way to kind of give him some security, give him a good amount of money, but also kind of protect their costs in case he goes out and has a huge year in his walk year, uh, he's the one guy I think could realistically both sides could maybe have some skin in the game to get something done before the season starts. But for the most part, I think chances are they're probably going to go to this offseason with these guys either going to free agency or entering their final years. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be a balancing act. And I don't really know how, how it's all going to pan out. I think you've got to get Beckham signed and you've got to get Collins signed. Those are kind of non-negotiable. And you want to get the, the two linemen, but I don't know if it's realistic or possible you're going to get both of them. So at that point, you're going to have to choose. And right now, I don't know who they choose. Dan, I know you've talked to and written about Justin Pugh, and he's noticed. I mean, the guard market has exploded the last couple of years. James just mentioned you know, Beckham and Collins are non-negotiables. The safety market has exploded with – Teams realizing you need athletic safeties to have a chance to play defense these days. I mean, realistically, all four of these guys are probably going to make a lot of money, or at least three of four, and definitely two of the four. Um, looking forward, do we think it's a chance that more than one of these guys isn't a giant? I mean, the one thing I, I think about as James was talking about that, I feel like the Giants may be in a good spot if they switch the quarterback, right? Because the, if Dave, Davis Webb or, you know, let's just insert young quarterback. Right. two or three years from now, he'll be making peanuts compared to Eli. That might be where some of the money comes from. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. It definitely would work out economically. Uh, obviously, it remains to be seen if that would work out on the field. Um, 
but yeah, and if you go through the four guys, I mean, you know, James did a good job kind of summing up their situation. So I'll throw my two cents in with Collins. I mean, obviously, assuming he has the same type of year, or, you know, obviously maybe even better in, in year three. Like James said, that's a no-brainer. They're, they're going to get that done, whether it's a you know early extension before his fourth season or afterwards. There's just no way you let a guy like that go. I mean, he really has the potential to be the best safety in the NFL. He might already be that. So I think he's going to be uh, probably a little less complicated. Uh, you mentioned Pew. I had to talk to him uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and he had a great line, which he's kind of apt to do. And I asked him, you know, are you feeling good about you know kind of where the guard market is headed? And he said, do you even know who some of these guys are that are getting paid? Uh, and it was a rhetorical question somewhat, but I certainly don't. I mean, I obviously I, I cover the NFL. I probably shouldn't admit some of this, but some of these names, uh, Joel Batonio from the Browns got six years, 51 million. Laurent Duvernay Tardif, I'm probably butchering these names, revealing how little I know, got five years, $42 million from the Chiefs. I mean, these are far from household names, never made a Pro Bowl, and they're getting that type of money. So uh, Justin Pugh is going to cost a lot of money. Like James said, maybe the health is sort of the one question mark where the Giants are going to want to wait and see. But Justin Pugh has absolutely no reason to sign an extension right now because the money's only going to get greater. The cap goes up every year. Uh, if he has a good year, he's basically on a Pro Bowl trajectory until he got hurt last year. So if I'm Justin Pugh, I'm waiting and, and cashing in next year, maybe they have to franchise tag him. Richburg, I, I don't think he deserves really to be lumped in with these guys. Not not because he's a bad player. I mean, he obviously was on a, a good trajectory himself and, and played through. We found out, uh, you know, pretty significant injury with his uh, was tendons, I believe, on his, on his snapping hand. That's obviously going to yeah. uh, set an offensive lineman back. But at the same time, centers just don't get paid like that. I mean... I mean, the, maybe the top, top guys, the Marquise Pouncey, I'm looking here, he's, his cap hits $11 million, but Richburg's not in that category. He's not, he, he hasn't sniffed the Pro Bowl. I mean, he's, if he wants to get top five money, I mean, then you're talking more like 6 or $7 million. That's manageable. That's not going to break the bank. That's not going to kill you. If he wants more than that, he'd have to have a really good season this year because he just hasn't shown enough, in my opinion, to be you know, com- commanding top of the market dollar. But if you can sign him to a nice you know, upper, upper mid, middle class center salary. I think that works for both sides. Obviously, remains to be seen when they get to the negotiating table. Uh, but Odell's the big one. That one is going to be uh, really fascinating uh, to watch. Uh, he, they've already picked up the fifth-year option for 2018. And I think that, you know, it's obviously a no-brainer in most cases. And with him, it's a complete slam dunk. Uh, so he's going to finally get a little bit of money. You know, he's, he makes plenty of money from head and shoulders and, and all those other ads. But it is, you know, his base salary as a as a the player he's been is pretty low because obviously that's the way it works for draft picks. So uh, I think it's around $9 million he'll get in 2018. But then it's going to get really interesting because, uh, you know, the franchise tag is going to be on the table. I can promise you this. Odell is not going to be interested in playing under the franchise tag. It will not be pretty if it gets to that point. He obviously has been one of the best wide receivers in the first three years, arguably the best. Uh, so he's not going to want to keep playing on sort of team-friendly deals. I know he's going to be getting a lot of money, but $120 million is a lot more than $15 million, and he's certainly going to feel like he's worth that. So, uh, you know, they kind of get through this season uh, with probably unscathed because of, you know, where he's at in his career. But uh, starting next offseason, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, where things stand contract- contractually with him because, again, uh, the team has some options to kind of keep his numbers in check. Uh, I just have a hard, hard, hard time believing he's going to be on the same page with that. He's going to want to get paid. And, and again, I mean, deservedly so. Like as James said, maybe he has to prove that he's, you know, he's got the emotions in check a little bit. But at the end of the day, what he does on the field is going to warrant big bucks. And, and I think he's the type of guy who's going to want to chase you know, historic type money. It's just, just the vibe I get, uh, just the way he kind of does everything with a little bit of flair. 
Um, and the other thing to keep in mind, though, is you mentioned Eli, whether that's from him retiring or, or whatnot. I mean, he's off the books after 2019. And a lot of these big contracts, you know, Vernon and Jenkins and Snacks, I believe, they're all off after 2020. So they, they, I don't think that it's going to be a situation where they necessarily have to lose one of these guys because they can stagger them a little bit. Like I said, you can maybe franchise Pew. And obviously so many NFL contracts are backloaded. So, uh, you know, they can probably do a way that, is going to pay these guys the big bucks sort of after Vernon and, and Jenkins come off the books. And, and that's why, you know, Jerry Reese and Kevin Abrams get paid the big bucks themselves to, to figure these things out. You don't let players like Landon Collins and Odell Beckham lose leave because of finances. That would just be a, you know, a horrible job as a front office. So you, you did a great job drafting those players, developing those players. Now the next step obviously is keeping them. And I, I just can't see any way they won't keep these guys. Um, but the Odell one, like I said, is going to be very interesting to see how that all unfolds. Yeah, it feels like that road's going to be bumpy. But they might get to the finish line, but that, that one's going to be interesting to watch. And, and like you were saying, Dan, I mean, we're talking about a guy, historic production uh, in his first few years in the league. And if it continues, he probably will look for historic money. Right. James? And the other thing ahead. we just throw in is, is selling tickets, too. I mean, right. it, we don't know you know what the team's going to look like in the post-Eli Manning era. Davis Webb doesn't quite move the needle like Odell Beckham. So I know that you know we like to think of things just in football terms, but – uh, you know, from a business sense, you, you know, having a guy like that as the face of the franchise, he's well aware of that fact. <laughs> so I think especially, you know, in the post-Eli era, this is going to be the Odell show. And, and again, he's well aware of that. And, and that adds a little more to the bottom line, I think, you know, maybe than other, other wide receivers who, you know, are, are kind of linked to a, you know, premier quarterback. He's going to be the guy whenever the Eli era ends. So that'll uh, certainly factor in, I think, uh, as well. Of course it will. I mean, you guys see it when you're in the press box. Just look down. You, I mean, this has nothing to do with who's worthy of money in a football team. But you, you don't see Justin Pugh in Weston Richburg jersey sitting in the crowd. You see Odell Beckham jersey after Odell Beckham sprinkled in with the Eli's. It, it matters. And I'm sure it's going to be part of the thinking for his camp and the Giants camp um, when we get closer to this thing. It's going to be fun to watch. James, as always, thanks for doing this. You got it, Joe. Thank you. And thank you, Dan. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks to all of you for listening to episode 92, our Michael Strahan episode here of Talk is Cheaper, New York Giants podcast. We'll be back soon to talk more about the Giants this offseason and moving closer and closer to football returning right here on NJ.com. <laughs>